presents. Thank you TJ Drennan for that opening song. And uh, yeah, so today's episode, hopefully a little shorter than most of them, but we'll see how this goes. We have call-ins from Daniel Norton of Bandits Keep, call-in from Joe Richter, and call-in from Jason Connerly. And no unboxings or things of that nature. I mean, I'll respond to these reca- these calls, but I do have a recap. I'm going to kind of mesh it together. I'm going to have a recap of what I did on Free RPG Day, which was this past Saturday, um, October 16th, right? So um, I'll talk about that. I got to run a game. It's a Free RPG Day for my online buddies, um, and I ran Tomb of the Savage Kings from DCC RPG. It's a second-level adventure written by... Stephen Newton, and then I got to play in a playtest of a game of uh, Mork Borg, and it was a playtest of a, a future adventure by F. Scott Andrew, who has already published as a part of Kickstarter, a small zine, the adventure Psalm 4-1, so uh, pretty cool, pretty cool stuff, so uh, let's get into it. First up, Daniel Norton. You know, that's a really good um, comparison, I guess, to the video games, because I definitely know that the idea of, like, cheat codes in video games and stuff, I've heard of that stuff. I'm not a video gamer myself, but it does seem that to people that play video games that I know, that seems like a legit thing to do. Like, you get stuck in a room too long, you're just like, I'm going to look up how to get through this. And then they do it, and they don't feel like that's cheating. Um, But, yeah, would... But if you take the same situation in D&D, and you're like, oh, man, we ended in this room, and we spent the last 20 minutes of the session, and we couldn't figure out the puzzle. All right, well, before next week, I'm going to go look up how people solve it. Is that cheating? I would say, yeah, but... Oh, I almost dropped my phone. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure why it's not cheating in the video game the more I think about it, but I, I, I maybe because you're not... Uh, because you're playing it by yourself, maybe? So it doesn't... Well, I don't know. Actually, World of Warcraft, you're playing with a bunch of people, right? So, yeah, I'm going to say that it's cheating. Uh, it might be okay cheating, like some people just are okay with. I mean, I I agree, and I think, like Jason and I have discussed this as well, Daniel, that uh, you know now we gotta ask our players, hey, have you played this before? And hopefully they'll answer you honestly, because 
and it doesn't, you know, it can, in my experience, and I've had experiences with this, it can, if someone has already played the adventure and knows the quote-unquote cheat codes or the secrets to, you know, the clues or whatever to advance the adventure and they share them um, with the other players, it, it definitely ruins it for other players. I've seen it happen, you know, it's, uh, or, you know, they, they know, okay, you know, uh, I know this monster's here and I know this monster's here, let's go tackle that monster first. And then they really do treat our tabletop RPG as a video game, right? That's what you would do, you know, in a World of Warcraft uh, MMO, you're like, oh, when you're in a raid, oh, we're gonna tackle this guy first and then this guy, you don't have to necessarily go in order sometimes. And but do we'll do this one because it'll get us this buff, and then we do this one and it'll do that, you know. So, yeah, I mean, and then you learn that because you you go on Wowhead and you you uh, learn all the secrets and the you learn how what the top end rating guilds do uh, for those. I mean, that's part of the game, I think, part of the study of the game. But in tabletop RPGs, I don't know, maybe it is becoming so because of you know you watch things like Critical Role or or other play other. Um, Twitch or YouTube videos that show you actual play of a particular product, which is fine. I mean, you're right that the uh, companies, uh, it's advertising for them. Um, but in the end, as you hear the shark disposing of its trash in the background, I apologize. Um, yeah, is that cool? I mean, do I wonder, I guess the next question is, do players like, oh, my GM is going to run um, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. So maybe I'll go look on the YouTube and see if there's Rhyme of the Frost Maiden actual play, right? As opposed to a review. Um, reviews can have spoilers too, right? But uh, do people look for the spoilers so they can get an edge in the game? And what is the benefit of that? <laughs> I guess that's the big thing. What is the benefit of that? I don't know. Um, so definitely... I know I checked myself. I know I was asked to play in a game recently, and um, I said, no, I have I have the product, but I have not read it, so awesome. I'd love to play in it. Um, although I think I would, I feel like I could be able to handle the meta, but I'm not sure. I guess it depends on how much I've seen or read the, of the game, if I have read it, um, and how much I remember, right? So, so I know that I was asked to play in a long-term Night Below campaign, but I have the product. I've had it for years. I read through it because I wanted to run it. I run some of it because um, I look at my book and I see I penciled in notes, which is awful. But um, yeah, so I couldn't. I couldn't feel. I didn't feel like I could put the meta in the back of my mind, right? Um, although I don't remember everything, right? I mean, I have Tomb of Horrors and I played it a few times, but I don't remember everything. Um, so there you go. That's a good question to ask people. Um, Maybe we'll get Joe Richter's opinion because he's very opinionated about things like this. So uh, we'll ask him. Hopefully he'll respond to this. Hey, Carl. Daniel from Bandits Keep. Um, <clears throat> to answer your question. Yeah, I, I think being a player does help you be a, a better GM because I think you can learn from both the good stuff that somebody does when you're a player and the bad stuff. Uh, that seems to be a theme I've been talking about a lot. But like some of the things that I do as a GM specifically I do because when I was a player somebody did something that's the opposite of that and I was just like wow that sucked and I will make sure I never do it and I'm just very aware um yeah and, and keeping a long-term campaign can be really tough I think for me 
my trick, if you will, is I kind of run them in chapters. So like my Astonishing Swordsman, one, we are running through all the modules. So each module is basically its own thing, but it's all interconnected. So if I did lose a player or gain a player, we could still keep going. You know, it's not based on any particular singular character, which is nice. But luckily, uh, most of the players have... Hey, Carl, it's Joe. Long-time listener, long-time caller. I agree, dude. I absolutely think being a player makes you a better DM, and being a DM makes you a better player. The two are part and parcel because they're all part of the same game. Anyway, dude, that's enough for me. Goodbye. Thanks, Joe and Daniel. Um, yeah, I, I grouped these together because they're very similar in theme. I posed the question, do you as a GM feel like you gain something from playing? And I agree with you guys. I think when you play... Uh, you learn, you learn how to do things better. Um, maybe you get inspiration from the way a GM does things. You learn maybe sometimes, unfortunately, how to not do things, uh, which is always good, you know. So um, it's you always gotta sit back and be able to learn and be open and malleable. I believe um, in our hobby, and I do try to ask feedback sometimes. And I think actually the podcast is a good feedback. And I know even I know Jason gives me a hard time and he's tongue in cheek, but sometimes you it helps me uh, to reflect and go, OK, well, maybe I can do that better. Um, maybe it does affect the way someone is doing the play. And um, and I definitely think we and that's why I love like some of like our Thursday night group guys, because I feel like we're going to be able to rotate the GM ship around. And uh, people are people who I have enjoyed playing with are usually good GMs. Um, I want to say so. Uh, so uh, thank you for that support and those call-ins. And yeah, let's play uh, games as a GM and play games as a player um, in our different worlds that we run. I love it. So uh, next, we're going to have some calls from Jason calling in about this idea of um, maybe unifying a system and different terminology in different systems. I do want to say, Daniel, I hope you listen to this. Uh, I am envious of you being able to run through a lot of the Hyperborea modules. I think that was, I don't know if you shared it here or on your show, but uh, maybe you'll come in here on your show and I'll probably reprise it as a call into your show. But that is so cool. I like what you're doing there. Um, it's pretty, it's a pretty cool. And, you know, I, I'm still a little irritated that um, when I tried to run uh, Man Eaters of uh, Zambula that it kind of faded. Um, but maybe we can discuss how I can revive it at some point. I definitely want to pick your brain about that. Anyway, thanks for the call in, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time. Hey, Carl, Jason here. Instead of getting into Joe's trying to blame people, because if the character knows their character sheet and somebody asks for something not on there, then obviously that's not the player's fault. But, the, but the, what's more interesting is the idea that you know, we want to play all these different games, but they all have the different names for the different tributes. And how do you get around that? And and that's something the GURPS people have done really well because GURPS typically uses the same names no matter what the genre, no matter what you're doing. A lot of these systems like Savage Worlds and some of these other games where they do use the same base rules still change the name of the attributes as you go from game to game. So you saw that problem. Like Power by the Apocalypse, I think, does that. And a lot of these games do that where you don't have that problem with GURPS. So that's one thing. So here's me complimenting GURPS. 
That's one thing GURPS does really well is they keep the same verbiage throughout, and I think that is a plus. Does that mean Jason thinks we should use GURPS to run all games? No, but I do think there's an advantage of using one system most of the time so you have, you know, the, the same verbiage so everybody understands what you're talking about. I think there is a plus to that. But I'm torn because I think some systems do emulate some genres better. I, I definitely think some systems emulate some genres better than others. So I see the draw to run multiple game systems. But I agree with you. It'd be nice if you had universal terms. Strength is always called strength. Dex is always called dex, right? And, and awareness is always called awareness or, or whatever. And, and that and, and that's something you could do with you and your players. You could modify everything so it's all called the same thing. You know, you play a lot of Call of Cthulhu and a lot of variants of that with BRP use different names. You could uniformize that. Uniformize. You, you could make all that uniform before you run those games. But that's a lot of work on you, the GM. Yeah, I mean, that is a really good idea. It would take some work, but, and maybe it's part of a session zero. It's like, I know it's called awareness here, but I'm going to call it perception. I know we have spot hidden and listen in this game. Um, for example, call it Cthulhu, but I'm just going to call it all perception. So you don't have to, and also, right? So in some games where you have a lot of skills, you got to distribute all those points. Um, but, you know, it's all perception. <laughs> it's all how you see it. Um, and then you can get a bonus or not to sight or or hearing, right? Like some other games do it, like Warhammer Fantasy does it that way. Because I know when I go, when I ask for a perception role, the elf character goes, oh, is it a hearing? So, you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but it is interesting. I know, uh, just another note, I know um, that was definitely true with other incarnations of Savage Worlds rule set. But now I think, with suede, they are making everything uniform. Um, like, so for example, like ETU had other different skills that were called something different um, than standard Savage Worlds, or even like an additional, or I think they had like charisma or something like that that was added on. But they kind of, in the conversion notes, the conversion to suede, they're like, okay, drop this, drop that, make it you know more conform to that because they probably had a saw a, or experienced a problem like in play test at conventions you know where like people are confused by this let's streamline it and i think that's a good idea streamlining is important uh we're getting old we have less and less a bandwidth in our brains the dopaminergic signal is not as strong so the tracks are not laid down in our nervous system as well as they could be uh, when we were younger so um so yeah, I guess I got to go back to the lab and work on that. Well, or at least, you know, now uh, sell products that other labs can work uh, can uh, get to work on that, right? So um, anyway, pretty cool. Thank you for the call-ins. And uh, right now we are going to go on to some recaps or a big recap, general recap thing. Hey, like I mentioned in the intro, I was able to participate in Free RPG Day, and I ran an adventure, and I played an, an adventure. So our local gaming store, Dragon's Lair San Antonio Medical Center, uh, pr put on the Free RPG Day. There were quite a lot of offerings. Um, they limited you initially to two products 
and I got the Dune product and the Iron Kingdoms 5th edition product. So I could spring those on my players, which would be pretty cool. That was initially, but then towards the end, they let you, since there was a lot of leftover, and I guess people still aren't wanting to come out to these types of things, um, or at least in our area, um, they let you grab from what was left. So that was kind of cool too. Initially, I w well, what I was, what happened is I was scheduled to run, or offered to run a DCC RPG product to give someone, some people alternative to D&D &D 5e, since Adventures League was also scheduled on the same day. But uh, strangely, I mean, they did have Adventures League, and it, at this gaming store they have rooms, but all the Adventures League people kind of went to their rooms and just played their D&D &D 5e. Uh, they didn't really, I guess they didn't look so much at the table, although there were quite a few 5e offerings, but maybe not like standard 5e, Forgotten Realms 5e, um, that Wizard of the Coast um, sponsors. It was like third-party stuff, so maybe, maybe Adventures League people aren't allowed to play third-party stuff. I don't know. Maybe it's BJ can answer that. I'm not sure. I don't know if he does Adventures League or what. But that thought that was kind of odd. It was unfortunate because, um, yeah, they had a... Some pe they had uh, Justin from Swordfish Islands was there. He set up like a convention style booth and was selling some of his product. So I bought their World Builders, the World Builders uh, notebook, which is pretty cool. I got the uh, the red one. I don't know if it's red is the actual color it's called, but the red one that has like a Conan esque type of picture on the inner uh, the inside front flap and the inside back flap. So that was kind of cool. And it's good to catch up and see Justin. I've met him at various cons in town. He's based in San Antonio. So that was cool. And then um, I um, got to play in a game by... So the people from Storywood Games were there too. And the writer... I got to play in a game by F. Scott Andrew. Um, he, they just, he and his group just had a... Um, I think they're called Storywood Co-op. But he and his group just had a Kickstarter with some zines for Mork Borg. And the Psalm 4-1 is one of his products. And he was playtesting another short adventure or a scene from another short adventure. So I got to play in that. So I got to actually play in Mork Borg. And I'll give you my thoughts about that. The first thing I did, even though I was scheduled to run a DCC RPG there in the afternoon from like 12 to 4, I played a morning game of DCC RPG, our regular group. And one player was unable to make it. And we decided to do a flashback with the other three players. So I got to run. And I decided to run so I could do a test run and so I could actually run it on Free RPG Day, which is awesome. It was a Dungeon Crawl Classics Tomb of the Savage Kings by Stephen Newton, like I mentioned. And here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be as spoiler-free as possible. If you want to hear a non-spoiler version, you can go to BJ... Uh, Boyd uh, of the Arcane Alienist. He has a pretty spoiler-riddled uh, um, recap. And I just want to give an overview of the adventure as spoiler-free as possible and just some things to take from inspiration from this adventure and my impressions of it. And Jason Connerly of Nerds uh, RPG Variety Cast does the same thing on his uh, latest episode as well. Yeah, his not his mailbag episode, but the latest... Um, like recap episode or content episode so it's kind of cool so like the tomb of the savage kings is designed for four to five second level characters it is inspired by numerous mummy movies specifically universal's the mummy from 1933 and the mummy's hand from 1940 
as well as Hammer Studios' The Mummy from 1959. The adventure also includes tie-ins to Harley Stroh's brilliant Doom of the Savage Kings, but it can be a standalone adventure. And I love that they have a quote from The Mummy um, at the beginning. Uh, it's Joseph speaking, Death, eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket in the name of Amon-Ra, the king of the gods. Good heavens, what a terrible curse. And then Ralph says, of course, well, let's see what's inside. So that's pretty kind of, that's kind of neat. And so it does have a like inspiration from the mummy movies. So it is a mummy tale. You go to a, you start at a tomb. You're told to go to a tomb to help rescue somebody who is the, you know, like in the mummy, the doppelganger of an old princess. Um, and then you go from there. And I think the adventure really sort of highlights what I like about DCC Adventures. Um, the art is always amazing. The inner art. So there's two, some pieces of inner art that I definitely, that I shared. And the players were like, you know, wowed uh, by one of the inner art panels, um, which shows this hieroglyphic uh, a story or a panel of hieroglyphics, um, which is pretty impressive. And then, you know, the map, the map is really cool. The map is like a, one of these... Uh, isometric maps that's like sort of 3d-ish um so um you know a la ravenloft if you remember the original ravenloft i6 so so it's really cool and what i like about dcc adventures they really get their authors to be as descriptive as possible in the box text and that really sets the tone and the scene you know for the players so um you know so they describe like when they get to the tomb what it looks like you know, what the weather is like, the moon being full, the statue in the front. Um, so it, it's really neat. The, the, it's very evocative because of that hieroglyphic panel. Um, and then they, they, the characters did really well. The, the adventure is four, uh, five second-level characters or so. But, um, but five third-level characters did pretty well. And they got kind of jacked up. No one died, but... Um, you know, it was it was challenging. I would say for three of those, and uh, I would I, I think we all had a good time. The cool thing was also we were able to finish it within a three or so hour session. I think we no, we play from eight to eleven. And I think we were we got started a little late because we were seeing if this one player would come, but then we decided. Uh, so it was about three hours worth of adventure, which I thought was pretty good. And another thing I like about the DCC adventures there are puzzles, there are tricks and traps. And that really is is really they uh, double down on the the sort of old school feel design, and I definitely appreciate that. So if you can manage to find it, I do recommend Tomb of the Savage Kings by Stephen Newton. I uh, usually what happens is uh, I don't uh, usually you can get them you can get these from some you know some stores that do both uh, mail order um, orders and uh, brick and mortar like a Noble Knight Games, they usually charge you a penny if you buy X amount um, to get them. That's how I've done, gotten these things in the past when I've missed Free RPG Day or DCC Day or whatever. But you can also, uh, usually um, DCC offers the PDF at a pretty reasonable price, so um, so pretty cool. And they might even, I don't know, they had like a whole slew of Free RPG Day offerings. I don't remember if they were free or for a small price, but uh, you could definitely check that out. So Tomb of the Savage Kings recommended fun um, homage to the Mummy movies. And uh, so if, you're, if your players like the Mummy or have watched the Mummy movies, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Even the names of some of the characters in there are, you know, reminiscent or inspired by. So 
that was uh, the Tomb of the Savage Kings. The second uh, game I played was a playtest of a future adventure by the author of Psalm 4-1, um, F. Scott Andrew, and it was Mork Borg. And I, I kind of like the system that he gave like a handout of the, of the rules, which I think was very helpful um, because it's going be kind of be in a future uh, game of some sort. I'm not going to go the blow, the detail blow by blow, but just give you some impressions of what I liked uh, about the system. Um, I did like it. It was a very simple system. I think the meta current, there's some things, I think he used like a random generator and it gives you like a ra one random treasure item. And some of that maybe is broken. So I think, I don't know if it's broken. It's probably part and parcel of the world that there's sometimes you'll have some powerful magic item that can save the day, which is fine. I mean, it's it definitely, I would say the gameplay is very reminiscent of older edition pre-Watsy D&D games. Um, and uh, it has that feel for sure. And uh, it, it's, you know, you have low hit points. You can get killed by something silly happening by failing a skill roll or your saving throw. Um, that did happen. Someone fell off a bridge and died. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's got that kind of silly, I would say silly gonzo, death is always at your door kind of feel um, that I think is typical to me of low level uh, BX and AD&D. I think once you get to like seventh level or so in those games uh, and you start hurling fireballs and cones of cold, it, it's a little different type of game. You're still playing the same game, but it's, you have a different sort of role and a different uh, part to play in the story. I will say that uh, for you, Joe. And then, um, what else is going to say? So I, it was hard to tell in the game. I mean, so Morkborg is like a metal-themed game. It's got this very dark fantasy art. Um, but it's very hard for me to say, yes, this playtest was metal and Morkborg. And maybe because, you know, it's... I think you would have to play like the mini campaign, right? The premise of Morkborg is it's very oppressive society ruled by this domineering uh, religious institution and the world is going to end. Um, and you play sort of that mini campaign until the world ends and you're always trying to eke out a living and survive. And that I think is only communicated through um, more of a campaign type of play and feel because this didn't really feel, you know, and maybe it was the way that the GM ran it. It did feel kind of like silly. And you could have taken this little adventure and put it in DCC or in OSE or BX or AD&D, uh, your choice, right? Like you could even, with some modifications, you probably could even put it in in a Hyperborea. Um, so, so there you go, you know. It, it was cool to play it. I did like the mechanic. Oh, I should talk about the meta currency. So, so all the characters have omens, and they're pretty... You know, so you can do uh, three things with omens. You have one to four. My character had three. I played a heretical priest named Scrawl, which I thought was cool. It's like the names are evocative, yeah, of like this kind of like dark Northern European dark fantasy. You know, the sun is only out for half the year type of feel. I think that's the idea behind Morkborg or maybe the inspiration for that. But um, yeah, so he had, and he was a heretical priest and he could list someone's sins so i kind of like that that gives me sort of a 
So maybe if I think about it enough, you know, the characters would definitely have that sort of dark fantasy, Northern European, you know, it's always Twilight feel, um, not sparkly vampire Twilight, Jason, but, uh, you know, dark, the world is gray um, type of thing. But, uh, you know, heavy, heavy tones and chords on your on your bass and and guitar, you know. Anyway, so. So and then he had he did have a scroll of sleep, and I would say that could be in and of itself and alone. Um, maybe John uh, Large and Hannah will will talk about this in their one of their series. I know they're doing monsters. Maybe they'll get to spells. But sleep is the bane of all GMs through every incarnation of D and D. Right? Um, I think it is. So um, so I had a sleep scroll that I used to good effect too, but. Um, but so the omens, I'll get back to those omens. You can use them to re-roll a dice if you fail. Uh, the target number is always a, D, a 12 on a d20, pretty much. Uh, you can modify, uh, apparently you can, mod, you can modify your target number by subtracting four or increase the target number of a foe by four. Um, or you can do max damage on a hit. So, you know, in the adventure, definitely people who had played before took advantage of that like one guy when he hit with a Zweihander said I do max damage you know type of thing and then what I did is with my sleep spell I made it harder for the 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 boss to save so uh yeah he fell asleep so <laughs> so there you go you know you can if you're a savvy group and a group that thinks like like that like what's the I win button which we kind of tend to do I think uh the old school, you know, how can you get around the situation to make it easy so you survive and don't get jacked up because you can't get jacked up if you only have, if you have less than 10 hit points, right? Um, so, so that's what you do in, in that type of game and these omens really help that. So that could be good or bad. Uh, maybe I think it decreases the, the advertised lethality of that type of game, but uh, you know, your mileage may vary as they say. So that's my impression of Mork Borg. I would definitely run it. I think I could give it that that nice deep bass tones uh, that could run a mini campaign for it. So maybe I'll pick up the book and uh, read through it again and maybe run this psalm for uh, one that uh, I got at Free RPG Day for playing. So thank you all for listening. That was my Free RPG Day experience. And I don't think I need an outro for this. Uh, you'll hear the awesome riffs that TJ Drennan composes to take us out. So take us out, TJ.